Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? How you doing? I'm I'm good. It's my favorite garbage day of the year. It's your favorite garbage day? Yeah, yeah. Like taking out the trash day? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I mean, not my favorite day to take out the trash, but my favorite day to see everyone else's trash. I have no idea what you're referring to. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, I'm not sure if you know that it's almost July 1st, and in Quebec, the way that July 1st is celebrated is by moving. <laughs> and so, because there's so many people moving, I, I think I biked home from my soccer game and passed probably 50 really nice chairs on the side of the road. I mean, if we're going to dedicate July 1st to trash, I'm into it. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. That's how I'm doing. Best garbage day ever. How are you doing? <laughs> Happy Pride! Oh, happy Pride, yeah. Happy Pride. Uh, I just want to say a shout out to all of the folks who are continuing to make Pride in 2021, though it might be a weird Pride. Uh, it is still a political Pride, so shout out to those folks. And it's been five years, Nora, five years since uh, the crew at Black Lives Matter Toronto, the team that I work with, stopped the Pride Parade uh, in 2016 in Toronto and demanded, uh, among other things, that police no longer march in the parade, that there be more uh, ASL interpretation at the parade, that more trans women, uh, more trans folks, more deaf folks were represented, all sorts of different demands. And it's been a really beautiful week of reflection on that. Mm. for me and a number of other folks uh, who were part of that. So I just wanted to take a second to commemorate that. This past year, uh, Rabble put out a 20th anniversary book, and I was asked to write one of the chapters. And the chapter that they asked me to write was on what happened politically from 2015 until 2020. And for the 2016 article, of course, we talked about the, the, the action that you're talking about right now. And it was when I was writing it. So I wrote it, uh, I guess, last year. I was, I was writing it about this time last year. I was, I was reflecting on how far conversations really have come since that moment in 2016. Because I think it's really easy to forget, like, how much hate and heat and criticism, uh, mainstream media, politicians, uh, other voices within society responded to that very simple action. And also just showing the enduring power that it had over injecting politics discussions into pride organizing, not just in Toronto, but of course, uh, all across Canada. And I think having moments like this where you can look back and go, oh, my God, it's only been five years, but look how much has changed and look at what it took. It took organizing and creativity and spectacle and doing something that was like not in and of itself very radical, like stopping a parade for a little bit, but actually having an incredible impact over people's consciousness and imagination. And people all over the world, and I think that can't be forgotten, you know, from, from Vancouver to St. John's to all over the world, literally, uh, New York, L.A., Australia, um, you know, activists after 2016 contacted us in Toronto, and we helped uh, to uh, support other activists around the world who wanted to recreate that action and 
recreate the politic in their own hometowns. And that, for us, was a part of this defunding the police idea, this abolitionist idea that has become far more popular today. Um, and that was a really important piece of this broader campaign for us. And so, um, you know, I just I think it's a good idea to just stop and recall and just think, yeah, a lot has changed. And maybe a lot hasn't, too. You know, there was a, a uh, report that came out recently that uh, Pride Toronto was trying to get some funds from the federal government and was considering promising that the police would be <laughs> reintegrated into the parade as a part of getting Why? those funds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we there was an intimate gathering this week of folks who were involved in the organizing and, and people were thinking, well, maybe maybe it is really time for a bigger shift. Like, do we really need institutions that refuse to change, that refuse to reflect uh, the people for whom they supposedly serve. Amazing. Amazing. We have some announcements to make uh, before we get into some thank yous and then into what the show is about this week. So Sandy and Nora, we've been doing pretty good, but we want to reach a broader audience. We want to make sure that the radical ideas that we're bringing up and talking about every single week on this podcast we want to see them spread. We know that we're having an impact because of all of the people who contact us uh, and the stories that we literally change um, that, that come up in the public discourse. And we want to continue to have that sort of impact, but deepen it and broaden it. So we have partnered with ACAST, who's going to help us to do that, to reach broader audiences. And part of the way that we're doing that is to be a part of their creator network. In doing that, we are going to start to have some ads on this show. Do not worry. We will not be having ads for companies that we disagree with or that are unethical. Don't worry. We're like about as weird about this as you probably are. And so we will be making sure that the ads that um, that run on the show are for products that we don't mind being associated with. And if you ever have a concern about a product ad that runs on the air, be sure to be in touch with us. We really, really do want to hear from you. Um, and we are going to try to make sure that the ads like are as di not disruptive as possible. And so if you are a Patreon, you have access to you will have access to an ad free feed to the show. So that is, I guess, a benefit of becoming a Patreon. And if you're not and you can suffer through the ads, we are also going to try to make sure that they are not too long because no one likes a long ad read. <laughs> we're, we're aware of that. Um, and so that's that's the plan. That'll start happening in a couple of weeks. And we thought that it was important to give you all a heads up. And hey, nothing in this world is permanent, right? We are always committed to reflection and self-reflection. So if we end up thinking that this doesn't work out, we hate it. We'll shift the way we do things. But for <laughs> now, be forewarned, uh, we will uh, be having some ad reads uh, in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side of this, of course, is that the, the, we're hoping to be able to 
actually hire someone to help us with a lot of the day-to-day administration of the of the podcast. There's a lot that we've been doing um, for the last four years. And and quite frankly, I, I'm, I don't know how much, Sandy, you love the pictures that I pick for the episodes, but I'm really bad at it and I can't wait for us <laughs> to hire someone. Um, but there's a whole bunch of steps we have to go through to be able to do that. And this is all kind of part of that. The, 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 the great news, though, is that as vaccination continues to advance, we are in like sight of being able to do some live shows again. And so, again, listen, pay attention. You'll find out first here when Sandy Nora will be on the road and uh, we will hopefully be coming to a location near you. I don't know. Should I say before the end of the year? <laughs> OK, yeah. Let's say before the end of the year. I'm willing to bet on it. Let's do it. Amazing. 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 And another announcement. We have some people to thank. That's right. We have a lot of people to thank this week for their support. And so thank you so, so much to everybody who donated for the first time or changed their donation this week, especially to Jennifer, to Dominic, to Susan, Selin, Drew, Gerald Butts with a whole bunch of Zeds at the end, <laughs> Petra. Jacob, and Christina. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Okay, so as we're getting closer and closer to the day of trash. (laughs) Big garbage day. To garbage day. I think that should probably govern our reflection for today. What do you think, Nora? Mm-hmm. Very excellent pivot. Yes. So I started this episode talking about how wonderful the trash is that people leave out. The obvious downside of the trash is that there's a lot of it and you see all of the consumption and you see all of the waste and you see all of the shit that kind of gets unearthed in people's moving. And what better day for a province to mark July 1st with all of this trash? This year, I feel like there has finally been like a little bit of a breakthrough in the public consciousness around why Canada Day is shitty. And it's so funny, you know, as as like I think every year we've had Sandy and Nora, we've done a, a Canada Day episode and we've explained why Canada Day is shitty and why we shouldn't be celebrating what we try when we're told we're supposed to be celebrating on Canada Day. And we're finally in this interesting moment now where there is an openness, I think, in the mainstream discussion to finally have some hard discussions, or to finally have some hard conversations about this country. And I want to make it very clear that it should not have come to this. It should not have been so long coming that it took uh, in the past week another location, another residential school in Maryville, Maryville, Saskatchewan, uh, which is a location where I have a friend who's, whose daughter went there, um, where they've they've discovered 751 unmarked graves. And so graves that had been marked that the the leadership of the school had physically removed. Of course, this is after 100, you know, children's bodies were found in Brandon and after 215 children's bodies were found in Kamloops and and of course the, the, like these these exist every single place where there was a residential school and, and even hospitals, Indian hospitals or, or or hospitals where indigenous people were treated. And so Canada did this year, yeah, there's actually a conversation about um, canceling it or, I guess, being critical of why we have Canada Day. And there have been cities all across Canada that have announced that they're canceling Canada Day festivities. 
And so that's what today's going to be about. We're going to talk about a couple of different issues that kind of weave themselves into this discussion of Canada Day. And I hope we give you a lot to chew on and to uh, think about action, think about acting on um, in the day or two days that are between you listening to this and Canada Day actually happening. Yeah. As you say, Nora, none of this is new. And so it shouldn't have taken this long for there to be this sort of uh, countrywide recognition that, hmm, maybe we really ought to think about what we're doing here when we're celebrating this place that is Canada and what it means to celebrate a place whose birth and continued existence is predicated on genocide and on a genocide that was and is so brutal to so many people um, who live and once lived here. Uh, There's a story that um, resurfaced this week uh, in the wake of these additional stories of unmarked graves being found. And it's this story that the CBC published back in 2016 about investigation firms who'd been contracted by government um, that found over 5,000 alleged abusers uh, who were involved in residential schools and involved in the abuse that happened at residential schools. So again, this was in uh, 2016 that that came out. But it, but here's what, what that tells us, is that not only should we have known, but the government does know. The government absolutely knows, because they were the perpetrators uh, of, of uh, this horrific uh, genocide. And... What does it mean that the government has this information? And as we spoke about a couple of episodes ago, are fighting to withhold information that they have from uh, people who have been harmed at residential schools in court and uh, refusing to reveal this information uh, to the public. And also, apparently, folks are having discussions about how difficult it would be to hold people accountable, people who are like alive right now and were involved in these abuses, how difficult it would be to bring them to justice. I, fascinating. As, as a black person listening to that sort of rhetoric, fascinating. Who we reserve that sort of, mm, this would be too difficult to really, uh, to really do something about that sort of idea, who we reserve that for, and who we use it against. Think about the difference between what we saw last week in Toronto's Trinity Bellwoods Park, where mounted police, mounted members of the Toronto police, burst into the park and and violently and forcibly clear the park of encampments that have been set up for months. And this, like, the the crime committed of the people that they forced out was being homeless and sleeping in a park. Like, Trinity Bellwoods Park is a big park. You know, there's there's more than enough space for people to sleep in that park. And the Toronto police had, like, the full-on riot squad busting in there, busting up people, pepper spraying people, and violently 
treating people with violence who were just trying to maintain the camp that they had set up because the shelter system is so violent. The shelter system has been the location of of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of COVID cases. Uh, I mean, it's across southwestern Ontario. There's the the shelter systems in Windsor, in Waterloo, in Owen Sound are like the biggest drivers of COVID infection right now. And people were rightfully saying we don't want to live in these in the in the system. Like the system's not safe. They're not safe. They're, it's not a it's not a, a sanitary from a perspective of a pandemic. And they and, and these people chose to like live in a park instead. Now, imagine that kind of force being used to walk in to the Obelit offices, the Obelit order, uh, which was one of the religious orders, the Catholic orders that ran many, many, many residential schools, marching into the Obelit offices in Ottawa and just seizing their documents and literally putting people in jail until documents are released. Like, why is that complicated? I, I, I fail to see what exactly about that is complicated. Now, if by complicated, I believe we've talked about this before on this, on this podcast not that long ago. If by complicated, they mean it would be damning for the federal government because, of course, the Oblates and other religious orders, other religions worked hand in glove with the federal government. Then let's say that. But let's not pretend that we don't have like the security forces who could absolutely be tonight walking into uh, any number of these religious organizations offices and saying, you are being arrested. You must seize all your documents. Yeah, let's. (laughs) Why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't that be something that uh, Canada does? Well, because Canada is very much invested in its in the continuation of its occupying uh, uh, the occupying nature of this country. Uh, It has been really frustrating to watch and read this week, last week, as um, the forces on the right and the forces, not even necessarily just on the right, but like the nationalist forces of Canada, like the the super liberal party or um, uh, the super... Uh, antagonistic side of you know the the conservative uh, type folks come out. There's a there's a broad range is what I'm saying here. Uh, come out and try to defend the indefensible. It's been pretty gross. It's been pretty gross. There's nothing to defend here. There's no defense of residential schools. The fact that we call them residential schools in and of themselves is a is a misnomer. It's, you know, these, these uh, re-education camps. Uh, there's, no, there's no defense of that. There's no defense of uh, Egerton Ryerson. Stop trying to resurrect um, some sort of benefit from this, this person. Like, there's no, like, why? What is the investment here? The you know the the articles that we're seeing from from people such as Conrad Black, um, and so on like it's just really disgusting um, that this evidence of of genocide being unearthed things that we've already known is being used as an opportunity to say we're not that bad, and when I consider that alongside what you've just raised with uh, what happened in Toronto recently. Um, I just, I can't help but think that for those people, the idea of Canada 
is part and parcel with the idea that some people either deserve to die or are not worth being a part of a community um, that is a part of this idea that Canada is. Like, it's okay uh, for Conrad Black et al. that um, that this horrific genocide happened and is ongoing. It's okay that certain people aren't welcome to simply live in any way that they can possibly live in this world. And what truly is there to celebrate about that? So I'm heartened to see, uh, finally, some consideration of, hmm, maybe this isn't something to celebrate. The ferocity with which these commentators and politicians and business leaders and basically like people who create culture in this ca- in this country have, have hidden what has happened, I think ca- like is a really important thing to 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 remind ourselves. You know, the the site at Maryville in Saskatchewan, like those graves were marked and then someone unmarked them. There was a literal process of removing headstones so that uh, uh, what was a large gravesite of children became a large field and the memory of who was buried there fell away over the years, right? There was an, an intentional act of forgetting. And the Conrad Blacks of the world, the fucking Aaron O'Toole's of the world, they 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 rely on on white supremacy so much to to justify their position within this country, to justify the power that they have within this country, to justify why they even hold the positions that they hold, that that they absolutely have no problem saying, well, there was some good things that happened at some of these schools, or these were a product of their time, or you know, Aaron O'Toole saying, well, it's radical activists that are trying to use these tragedies to do X, Y, and Z with them. And I think that, you know, the, these forces of, of, of white supremacy have absolutely always existed in Canada. But the act of erasing, forgetting, sanitizing them has been very, very, very intense and very intentional. And it's like, you know, the fact that the Mounties have this like lovable international image of horse riding musical fucking guys um, with their funny pants and not like literally like Canada's SS is intentional. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, we have to, I guess, sit with some of these truths if we've just found out with, found out them and they're like shattering what maybe we thought about Canada for so long. Um, and But then you have to like kind of then go deeper because it's it's one thing to look at the Conrad Blacks and the Aaron O'Toole's of the world, the, like, let's say the, 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 the conservative kind of mentality, uh, who I don't doubt uh, would find a way to justify. I mean, they do find a way to justify the, you know, the prison system, which is very much continuing a lot of the work of residential schools. Um, but but I think that the, the absolute worst pe- uh, perpetrators in all of this are the liberals because the liberals have been, you know, they're one of two, Canada's two natural governing p- parties. They have been just as involved in the management of the res- residential school system as the conservatives were. Um, they have deep roots uh, overseeing this system. You know, Pierre Trudeau has a like, you know, like his history with with uh, Indian affairs and the white paper, like people should definitely go look all of that up. I mean, we are talking about the son of Pierre Trudeau, right? And Jean Chrétien himself was also, uh, in, in, you know, very much involved in, 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 
in how the the modern understanding of like crown indigenous relations kind of exists in this country. But they're so slippery and they use such coded language to make it sound like they're enlightened, to make it sound like they're repentant, to make it sound like they care. And then all of a sudden we get this like little hint of truth that comes through a text message. And it's a text message that comes from Carolyn Bennett, who is like the most revolting piece of shit member of the Liberal Caucus, I think, sent to Jody Wilson-Raybould. And the, 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 the text, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould was saying, like, was responding to the fact that these new graves have just been rediscovered and announced by, by uh, Cadmus Delorme, the chief of uh, the Cowess' First Nation. And Carolyn Bennett responds to the tweet with a single word that says, pension. And it was like, are you fucked, Carolyn? Like, are you? Well, I mean, you are, obviously. That the response to uh, a, a, an indigenous member of parliament who is raising concerns of the federal government hasn't done enough. I mean, like, that's obvious. That's a given. Is to, like, refer to the fact that she gets this pension because she's been elected for more than six years. Like, when, when, the, when, the, when the veil drops and you can see what these people are really like, you can just imagine... You can just imagine what life has been like under Carolyn Bennett as the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations. And I don't think we could have had any better kind of little example of how fucked up that the entire liberal establishment really is. Because Bennett is a is is very important to them. She has been in that role for a very long time. I think she's probably, if not the longest, one of the longest um, members who've served the same position since 2015. And she's such a piece of shit. And Trudeau has full support of her shittiness <laughs> and, and and will not pull her off that file because she's useful because the liberals have absolutely no intention of doing anything on this unless they are like really seriously forced to. Yeah. And I mean, uh, putting the indigenous services minister, Mark Miller, front and center to defend her <laughs> by saying that she was <laughs> mortified by what she had done. No, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. Who responds to something like that? It is only someone who, again, is very much invested in continuing Canada in the way that it is marching forward uh, in, as you say, sanitizing um, uh, the, its genocidal actions, uh, past and present. And so, uh, Nora, like I actually, you know, I read Aaron O'Toole's comments uh, this week where he said something to the tune of, oh, what a time for reflection uh, these last couple of weeks have, have uh, uh, to- you know, are horrific. We should, we should reflect, but we should all be proud to be from a great nation such as Canada, which is like, how are you saying those two things in the same sentence? Like, with any sort of honesty, that doesn't really make sense to me. But I actually wonder, what exactly is he talking about in terms of being proud? You know, when you learn the things, when your eyes have been opened to uh, the way that Canada has engaged um, domestically, uh, internationally, uh, how it refuses to take care of certain people within its myths, how it refuses uh, to honor its responsibilities um, on so many levels. 
I, I truly have to ask, like, what exactly is there to be proud of? Like, I think about all of the things that as a child and youth uh, are, like, propagandized into you to think about um, how we should think about what Canadian identity is. It's like, you know, peacekeeping, <laughs> a, a better United States, I suppose, where there there's, like, no racism or sexism or these types of things, like, more liberal than the U.S. But all of those things are false. All, like, so I... You know, we we could go and break down one by one um, each of these myths, but I mean, we have a whole 150 some episodes <laughs> that you can listen to that really do an excellent job at doing that. And so I, I'm truly left confused because a person like, sorry, <laughs> that's not true. I said I'm truly left confused, and then I thought that's not true at all. I am truly left uh, angered at how deftly these people who know, like they know the same things that I know, they know the same things that Nora knows that we've been talking about for years, how deftly they lie or just don't fucking care about the real truth of what this country is and continues to be every day. One of the funny kind of things that is uh, part of the national myths is our affinity to a season. <laughs> I, that's the thing I find the, the best about Canada. Is Did you like, say the seasons? A season. A, a season in particular. And it's like, we love that we move away from the sun more than other parts of this globe, <laughs> which is winter, right? Winter, snow, winter sports, being cold. Wearing hot clothes, I guess, is part of Canadian pride. And, you know, one of the things that's that we're seeing this week is the hottest temperatures and, and the most intense heat wave that we have ever seen in this country. And, you know, even if you are trying to be proud of, I mean, being proud of fucking soldiers and being proud of cops and being proud of fucking genocide is like one thing. But, okay, so what if we're proud of like, I don't know, are skating on a fucking pond in the middle of winter. We're not even saving that. <laughs> like we're not even we're not even doing anything to save that. And actually far worse, we're making it um actually more impossible to ever uh, have the experience of being able to just skate on a lake for the majority of Canadians um who live in the greater Vancouver area, the greater Toronto area, right? That you just don't get frozen lakes anymore because winters are warming up. And it's so funny to me that like even on that, on something like that, where you could you could use that that national myth to pivot to okay, and this is why Canada is going to be a global leader in clean energy. We're going to be a global leader in in divesting from fossil fuels. We're going to divest from pipelines. Oh no 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 no! We're also a global global leader in like emitting this shit, in tearing out of the ground this garbage, and forcing the rest of the world to deal with our fucking pollution because it just goes into the atmosphere and fucks everything else up. And now people this 
week. I mean, I hope by the time you're listening to this, you folks have cooled off. But folks in Kamloops and Vancouver and Alberta, I know I've seen messages from folks in Edmonton just like losing it. It is so hot and we are not like we have no infrastructure to deal with this heat. And even then we have governments that are just like, no, 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 we are going to go full bore towards subsidizing the oil industry, helping the oil industry, buying pipelines, continuing in this destructive, um, in these destructive habits, uh, deforestation and funding and funding the oil industry of the NDP government in, in, in British Columbia. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? These are all directly linked to colonization. These are all directly linked to genocide. And and even the only thing that passes for a left-wing option at the provincial and the national levels, like, can't even get their shit together on denouncing, refusing, changing course, not funding uh, resource extraction. It's just, like, it's so pathetic. Like, sorry, Aaron O'Toole, you love hockey so much. Why don't you fucking defend ICE? <laughs> Yeah, it seems to me that the um, the number one thing that Canada is good at is brand protection, brand creation, brand brand protection and brand creation. Like that's what it's good at. It has managed to uh, mythologize itself um, into having this international this international reputation for being this peacekeeping, progressive nation that's, like, good to all. But for those of us who are here um, and those of us who um, have done, you know, just the, a little cursory scratch at the surface of that, we know so much better that that is not the case here. But I really, you know, I do... I wonder what would happen if if a journalist really took someone like Aaron O'Toole to the wall and just said, like, what actually is it that you are proud of and went through and kind of um, busted those myths? Because, you know, when I think, is there anything to be proud of when I'm thinking about what constitutes Canada in my mind? It's like literally nothing. Like the things that I'm proud of are the communities that come together to resist all of the stuff that we're talking about here. Like, um, what is beautiful and that uh, I can be proud of is that um, there are like Canada isn't perfect in its in its uh, genocidal um, actions, that Canada isn't perfect in the way that it oppresses and represses people, that its white supremacy has holes that can be um, that can be poked through and torn apart and that we can organize through these things. Um, and we do, and that uh, is something that I'm proud of, but I feel like those things are outside of the Canadian state. <laughs> so what what exactly is there to be proud of? I just don't, I just don't know. Yeah, well, not to mention that, I mean, you know, you could you could look at social services, like we have a, the healthcare system we could be proud of, we could be proud of, um, I don't know, the, the, the water infrastructure that we have and then it's like it's like can we be proud of a healthcare system well exactly <laughs> right you poke is, a little bit you just poke a little bit you're like oh no wait actually we're literally destroying the healthcare system and oh actually we are destroying the healthcare system our water systems are one not universal there's a there's a whole bunch of communities that do not have access to clean drinking water um, and also like they're incredibly wasteful <laughs> and we we treat water as if like the entire world has as much uh, water as we do fresh water as we do and we, and that's not true I mean the, I think that the there's no better metaphor for Canada's like 
we're Canada where we see ourselves in the rest of the world than this vaccine rollout, right? Then oh, the, say more. The, well, then the fact that, you know, we're, we're rushing to vaccinate, you know, teenagers to get double, double vaxxed teenagers while um, the, the highest spike in numbers and cases of COVID yet are happening all over the world because there is complete vaccine inequity. Canada has blocked that. Canada has played a very negative role in this, all at the same time that Canada drew from COVAX to be able to get some of the, like, like first of the line for some of these doses. And it's just, it's just part and parcel of, of everything that is fucked about our country. And you can see why people would say that they take pride in it. They take pride in the fact that they were able to get vaccinated first. They take pride in the fact that we were able to get through this pandemic with not that many people dying because, you know, I didn't die. And then what you actually see is this in, intense selfishness and intense um, um, small mindset that has no, gives literally no fucks about anyone outside of their immediate circle, whether that is their community, whether that is uh, outside of Canada. And, you know, again, this is what, like, the idea that Aaron O'Toole could say something like that without being, without being, like, pushed to actually admit what he's proud of, I think that says a lot about how willing our journalists are to go with this stuff. You know, I was I was on CBC this morning, and I mean, kudos to them for uh, how, having a conversation on canceling Canada Day and why we should. But in, in one of the pre-interviews, I was talking to the producer, and I was thinking back to um, Canada Day a, a while ago. I mean, I was in Georgetown, and I have not been in Georgetown for Canada Day for a, a while, um, so maybe four years ago. And I, I distinctly remember reading a column from Susan Delacourt in the Toronto Star, and it was just so shit. It was just this shitty Canadian myth bunch of bullshit fucking shit. And and I was like feeling pretty generous because I didn't I don't know Susan at all. And I know she's like maybe like I don't know, maybe she's losing her fucking talent as she's like getting close to retire. I don't know. But <laughs> like I was like being very kind, being like, oh, this is like not a great column rather than my normal go fuck yourself, Susan Delacourt. That's the shit. And she fucking blocked me and was like, wow, how, how, uh, how dare you? Right. I'm like, whoa, that was very intense. Um, and now actually I think you're shit. And I will say that now all the time. And, you know, and it's not just her, right? Like every single Canada Day, there's this like there's this justification for the myth making to continue and the justification for the laziest fucking analyses, the laziest columns, the laziest specials, television specials or the the laziest fucking, oh, better get myself to a citizenship oath today. Oh, better reuse that one stock photo that the, all of the newspapers keep using of the citizenship oaths. And I feel bad for the three people in it because I see them all the time. <laughs> it's like 10 years old like are we are so boring they're just like journalism so fucking boring and so perpetuating of these myths and you know i i think like the fact that you cannot ignore these catastrophes anymore because they are so front and center it's forcing people to like i mean today one of Quebec's most prominent um, columnists, Patrick Lagasse, wrote a piece that says uh, cultural genocide. There's one too many words in that phrase, right, as in it's just genocide. And this is a guy who in 2019 wrote that there had been no genocide against Indigenous women and was blocking and smearing people who fucking called him out on that. And so there's like a bit of a change happening, but I don't know how deep the change goes. And I know that the liberal machine is very eager to eat up this change and spit out a bunch of fucking complete fluffy bullshit and then nothing happen. And so maybe that's where we have to kind of take this conversation is like, how do we change? How do we force? How do we make sure that this stuff doesn't get re-erased, which will be the tendency that power will want to follow? Yeah, I think we can um, expect a couple of different 
roads that can be taken uh, from the people who want to do that kind of thing, the sort of fluffy shit that um, I think we're going to start to see, especially this week. And so here's my prediction for some of those, uh, the, the types of conversations that people will try to have. And let's just refuse to have those types of conversations. I think we'll see people saying, um, one, and this has already happen, happening, and we've spoken about this already, trying to pass the buck onto uh, the Catholic Church. It's like, it's not Canada's fault. It's just the Catholic Church, and we really got to hold the Catholic Church responsible, as though there can't be multiple perpetrators to a genocide, and in fact, there often are. Uh, absolutely, fuck the Catholic Church, and also fuck the Canadian government. Both of these things can happen at the same time. It's not an either-or, and stories that frame it that way are lazy, and they should be called out for their fucking laziness and genocide apologism. The other sort of story that I think we can expect is the, the type of story that comes up all the time, we saw this a lot with Canada 150, whenever the fuck that was. I can't remember how many years ago was that, <laughs> two or three years ago. <laughs> uh, four years ago? Four years ago now, right? Um, we're going to start to see uh, the, the type of discourse that's like, the greatest thing about Canada mm-hmm. is that we can reflect on these horrendous issues and move forward. And I, and I hear you groaning because you know it's true. You know it's true. Like, that is exactly what's going to happen next. And so... You're so right. Like, let's be ready to refuse that because it is exactly that. It is exactly that that perpetuates the ongoing atrocities because it absolutely erases all the bullshit that Canada is doing right the fuck now. And... It presupposes that all we need to do to end a genocide is think that it's bad. Like, are you fucked? No. No, 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 no. There is so much more that needs to be done. There are people that need to be held accountable who are engaged in these acts right the fuck now. And so, no, it is not the greatest thing about Canada that we can sit and fucking reflect on these things. It is one of the most horrific things that we continue to try to erase by pretending that it's not still happening. 